Good morning. Welcome to Parkview. I'm Doug, one of the pastors here. It's great to celebrate Mother's Day together with you guys. So happy Mother's Day, moms. So I'm well covered in each service. My mother-in-law was here first hour, and my mom is watching live stream today over by Des Moines, and my wife will be here next hour. So my three most significant moms are in each service. So there we go. So, But it's great to be with you uh, today and, and to celebrate with you today. So um, I think it's important that we say right up front that um, there's no perfect mom, there's no perfect family, there's no perfect dad, there's no perfect person, right? So, in fact, we've got a friend whose mission it is to make sure that she posts bad moments in her family as well as the good. It seems like everybody's using Facebook to make everything look good, right? So she'll do videos of her daughter having a meltdown and post it, you know? And so there we go. So kind of joining her uh, you know, movement there. Let me just take that out of the room. So uh, if there's a common denominator in this room, it's that we are broken people, all right? And so we all need to be here because we're meeting and worshiping a God who uh, loves to draw near to broken people. That's why we're here today. And so maybe you've seen like those stick figure families on the back of people's cars. I really like this picture right here because I think this is more descriptive of what our families are like a lot of times, like just trying to hang in there and keep it together. So, again, no perfect family here, but we're studying a book in the Bible called Ruth, and it's, we're going to be in it for five weeks. It's a beautiful picture. It's a very honest picture of what life can look like, that life can get broken in a hurry, and life can get hard in a hurry. But this whole theme that we have a God who is who is, is gracious and merciful and steps into our brokenness is a beautiful story that we're going to see. It's a love story between a wealthy businessman, a poor migrant worker, and you toss in a, a bitter mother-in-law into the drama, and there you go. But it's kind of through this story we're going to see the transforming power of God's mercy. And we're going to see, I think as a people, that what happens when you embrace the fact that we have a God who is merciful and steps into our brokenness and our hard spots is that that knowledge can free us to courageously be a people that step into other people's hard places and dark places. And you're going to see this throughout the book that God loves to pour his mercy into people's lives so that then they can take risks for others who are going through hardship. And that, 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 courage can transcend us beyond religious boundaries, racial boundaries, and gender boundaries to be a people that truly respond to needs around us. It's going to be a great book and a great study. Let me pray, and we'll jump in uh, together in Ruth 1. So let's, let's pray. Uh, Father, thanks that um, we can be real this morning, that there isn't a perfect mom, family, kid, person, pastor in this room. We are broken people, and that's what draws us to you because you are God who is merciful. You are God who is rich in mercy. So we need you. So speak to us today. Uh, Some of us are in dark, hard places. Some of us uh, need to be reminded of who you are and how good you are. And may the result be that as we study this book, that you would truly catapult your people out courageously into dark places in our world where we can point them to you through the truth we embrace. So speak to your people now in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of Ruth. We're going to start reading the first five verses. If you have an app, you can slip there, slide there, and uh, we'll read together. So Ruth chapter 1, verse 1 says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. 
and the name of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. And they went into the country of Moab, and they remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. And these took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, not Oprah, Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. I had a pastor in the area that when he heard we were doing uh, Ruth 1 on Mother's Day, he said, what are you thinking? Like, that's a, that's a hard chapter. And so uh, it is a hard chapter, but there's some beautiful things that are going to emerge in this beautiful love story. So, but just kind of set the tone of these dark days. And this whole book of Ruth takes place during a real dark period in the history of God's people. It made this statement there that this was the day when the judges ruled. And so if you were to flip back a page or two in your Bible, you would see in the book of Judges that there was a really kind of a horrible time for God's people where they would trust him and then drift away and that he would judge them and send a deliverer to remind them that they need to return to God. In fact, the banner over this time period was that everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so this was a time where people were rebelling against God, doing their own thing, abusing each other, hurting each other. It was a very dark time. And so in those days, uh, there was a famine in Bethlehem, which is ironic. Bethlehem means the house of bread. So in the house of bread, there is no bread because God is judging his people because of these dark days. And so in the midst of that, this man named Elimelech, And his name, names in the Hebrew Bible are are really important. His name means the Lord is king. So the man whose name is the Lord is king went to a country that was about as far away from God as you could go. The people of Moab had a very bad relationship with the people of God. First of all, the people of Moab came from kind of a very auspicious background. If you, it's a very sad moment in the history of God's people. But a man named Lot had a child with his daughter. And so out of that incestuous relationship, the people of Moab were begun. In fact, the name Moab means who's your father? Kind of a dig at the people of Moab, right? And so not only that, but there was a time where God's people were traveling through the wilderness, needed bread and water, and the people of Moab refused to give them bread and water. There was another time where Moabite women seduced a bunch of uh, Israelite men to worship the false god Chemosh through sexual sin, and God judged his people. So there is not a good track record. If Elimelech truly means the Lord is king, he was making a horrible choice in moving his family to this place called Moab. In fact, you would almost name Elimelech more accurately, God is not enough. God is not enough. Because he is so discouraged or disappointed or angry at God that he's leaving the house of bread to go to a people that refuse to give bread to God's people. He is going to a place, and I don't know if you noticed the pattern, but, but the progression went like this. They traveled to Moab, they remained in Moab, and then they lived in Moab for 10 years. So step by step by step, Elimelech led his family away from God. And so for 10 years, they lived in a place where God's name would not have been worshiped, where God's teaching would not have been proclaimed, and where God's people would not have been there to encourage and support through hard times. And so I know this is Mother's Day, but I couldn't help but to notice a challenge to dads and to fathers and maybe to men in general this morning. 
what God has called us to in our homes is to be godly leaders. In fact, our command as husbands comes from Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church. A husband, a leader in a home is called to lay down his life for his wife and his family. We are called to be sacrificial leaders. And so there's a powerful uh, role that's, that's placed on a husband, on a leader in a family. And so it's really crucial what we do with that man, that if there is a season in our lives where God is not enough and where we journey and look for our lives and our satisfaction in other places, it's not just us who could get hurt in that. There's a great potential that our families could get hurt in that as well. There's some amazing statistics that back that up in our country that, that the statistics are incredibly high that if a man follows God with his whole heart, most likely, not in every case, but a large statistical uh, sample of people show that the whole family will follow God. But if the man, if the, the dad, the husband does not follow God, the opposite happens as well. Again, not in every situation and not in every case. But there's a strong role, man, that you, you are called to play in your family. And so one takeaway I see from this text already this morning, and I'm, I'm sure you guys have done great with your gifts for Mother's Day. I'm sure there's a great brunch after this, or you're grilling, or you've already wrapped presents, or had your kids wrap them for you, or whatever you do. But by far the best gift you give to your wives, the best gift you give to the moms in this room is you uh, following Jesus Christ wholeheartedly. That's the best gift you give to your families. And, and any children here this morning, if younger children, you've made your own card for mom or you made mom breakfast in bed and uh, hopefully didn't spill anything, no orange juice all over the sheets, whatever. The best gift that we as kids give to our moms is our following Jesus wholeheartedly. Third John 4 says, there is no greater joy than this than to see that my children are walking in the truth. And so Elimelech stands to us as a lesson this morning. And if for any reason any of us have started that journey that we've traveled away from God, that we are kind of remaining away from God, or even if for 10 years, it's been 10 years since we've truly heard from God and followed God, man, this morning is the morning you stop that and you get back on track. You just, you admit that, you confess that, and you go back after the Lord. I would love to talk with you or any leader here this morning would love to talk to you guys about getting going. But that could be the greatest gift you give to the mom in your life this morning is you following Jesus wholeheartedly, all right? So at the end of verse five, again, this is kind of the dark days. It makes this statement about Naomi. This is kind of the summary of her statement. It says, the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. All the names have been pulled out of that summary statement because I think it's making a very strong cultural statement so that we know how dark the days are for Naomi. This woman is now left in a culture where women needed the sons and her husband, needed men in her life. In that season, she's left without her two sons and her husband. And the order is significant, sons before husbands. Uh, there's a book I've been reading. It's been very helpful for this series. It's called A Loving Life, and it's by Paul Miller, where he does a deep study into the book of Ruth. And in his book, he shared this research that he came across, that a leading, a leading management consultant asked a bunch of American men and gave them this scenario. Okay, there's a ship, and your mom, your wife, 
and a daughter, your daughter are on that ship and that ship is sinking and you can save one of them, who would you save? Okay, so here's the survey results. Here's the numbers. And so here's the answer. It was 60% daughters, wife, and then mom. Happy Mother's Day, right? And so, <laughs> wow. And so the moms would say, well, that's the way I would want it, right? But maybe there's something inside you going, you know, are you serious? Zero? Zero? You know, so again, happy Mother's Day, mom. So what was really interesting is that that same researcher went to um, a very traditional Middle Middle Eastern culture and went to uh, interview Saudi Arabian men, men from Saudi men. And so the same question, the same scenario, and then here were the results. And the number one answer was mom. 100% of them chose mom out of that. And again, his whole point in that study was to kind of show us the culture from which Naomi was living, that, that her hopelessness was really not that she had lost a husband, but that she had lost sons. In that culture, it was such a high value for sons to be sure that mom is good, that mom is defended, that mom is fine, that this woman is now left not only without a husband, but even more significantly without two sons. She's in a very dark place. No sons, no husband, no descendants. And so here's the snapshot of Naomi's life. She is too old to work. She is too old to get married. She has no husband. She has no sons to care for her. And from what we can tell, she has no land from which to earn an income. Things look incredibly bleak for her. And what's incredibly sad is that Elimelech Limelech left God because God was not enough to him to find life in Moab. And as a result, all the men in that family lost their lives. And the one left to suffer is Naomi. All right. And so let me just pause again. And you're like, Doug, this is Mother's Day. Like, when's this going to start picking up here a little bit? So uh, let me just say this. Um, I think John mentioned it earlier. I know he did it the first service that this can be a hard day for a lot of us. So sometimes even just the subject of mom and, and what that means um, is, is painful. But even beyond that, there, I mean, if we got honest and just talked with each other, there are hard places in all of our lives. That's the consequence of us living in a broken world. And then that's the consequence of us being a broken people. So some of the things we're stuck in are our doing, and some of the things we're stuck in are just the result of us being in a broken world. But the key is here is that we have a God who draws near to broken hearts. We have a God who moves into broken places in our lives. And so we see that through the gospel. We see that through Jesus leaving heaven to come to earth to be with us. That's the God we serve. So in our hard places, what are we supposed to be doing? What do we do next? And the answer there is, is that you look for God's kindness even in a dark place. You look, you know, we see the alternative. If it's to totally abandon God and move away from God, that leads to death. So what do we do? You look for God's kindness even in the dark place. You pick up our story in verse 6. It says that then she arose, Naomi arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. 
May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and they wept. So even in her dark place, Naomi heard the news that God had visited his people, that there were crops being harvested in Bethlehem. She knew this wasn't coincidence. She knew this wasn't El Nino weather patterns changing, and now there's good weather for crops in Bethlehem. She knew this was the hand of God. And so uh, she started moving back in that direction, even though she was in a dark place. And we don't know how much Naomi was complicit in Elimelech's choices, that as Elimelech was choosing to go away from God, was Naomi saying, no, Elimelech, we shouldn't do this? Or was she throwing in with him? We don't know. But she's in a dark place. She's been there 10 years, away from God, away from his worship, away from his teaching. But even in that dark spot, she hears that God has been kind to his people. And she begins to move in that direction. Now you're going to see Naomi is not flawless in this return to God, but the concept of return is crucial. Seven times in chapter one, the word return is used. And so Naomi is turning back to God and she's not going to do it flawlessly next week, especially you're going to see her have some temper tantrums, some throwdowns. She's going to complain. She's going to be bitter. You see all those things, but while she may have a smirk on her face, there is still hope in her heart and she is returning back to God step by step by step. And we just need to understand that that is the God that we worship and that we serve. It reminds me of so many places in the scripture, but maybe especially Ephesians 2, where it describes our condition as sinful people who have walked away from God. It says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. But the great transition in that passage is in verse 4, where it says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which, which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace, you have been saved. In fact, in Romans 2, 4, it says it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. That when you are in that dark place, you look for that place where God is still being gracious and merciful to you. And then you step and step and step back to God. So God has a plan, even in the midst of our darkness. And I think we used this analogy a couple weeks ago, closer to Easter, that let's say that all of us uh, could have gathered at the cross when Jesus was dying on the cross. And let's say we knew everything that had gone on up to that point, but we have no idea about resurrection and what God was doing. We just see Jesus, the sinless son of God, hanging on a cross. He's there um, because of lies and a broken justice system. And we would look at the sinless son of God dying and say, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? This is not right. And so if that was our only snapshot, those would be our conclusions. But when we pull back and see what God was doing there, and we see the amazing work that the resurrection of Christ has done so that people like us could be in relationship with God, we see the glory of God. We see the grace of God. We see the kindness of God to us. And so let me just say that whatever the darkest spot, either live streaming or in person this morning, is in this audience the darkest place, God can still do amazing things in that darkness. If he could do that with the sinless son of God hanging on a cross, he can certainly do that in whatever situation it is that we're stuck in today. 
And so Naomi moved toward uh, the, the kindness of God. And then what we see Naomi doing, this is even maybe more powerful, is that even though she's in a dark place, she's able to, to reflect hope to her daughters-in-law. And so maybe you caught that, that, that um, she's trying to convince her daughters-in-law to go back, to stay in Moab. It's almost like they're journeying, journeying to Bethlehem, then it dawns on her, wait, these girls should not come with me. And she had some good reasons for saying that. I've already talked to you about how there was tension between the Israelites and the Moabites, that if Orpah and Ruth were to come to uh, Bethlehem with her, they would have been ostracized. They could have been vulnerable to racism and to abuse. And they had no man to protect them. They had no financial backing. They would be coming into a country where they uh, would be potential objects of racism, where they could be abused, and where they would be just financially in a horrible place. And there was no hope for them to find husbands. And so out of all of those truths, Naomi, it dawns on her, you guys shouldn't come with me. And so again, we, we hear that, but I don't know that we understand the depth of that. Because in that culture, um, Orpah and Ruth were bound to Naomi. Like they, if they don't go with Naomi back to Bethlehem, most likely Naomi dies. She has no one who is bound to care for her. So in many ways, Naomi is laying down her life so that these two daughters-in-law could find their life. She is embracing, even at this moment, I think it's a small speck of hope in the kindness of God, but Naomi has enough of that knowledge of the kindness of God that she's willing not to cling to these daughters-in-law to care for her, but to set them, to set them free to make sure that their lives are taken care of as she continues to step back to Bethlehem. That is a powerful picture that you're going to see played out throughout this whole book, that people who understand the kindness of God are, are those kind of people that don't use other people or don't keep other people around to, to meet our needs, but instead we leverage the kindness of God in our lives to, to free us up to serve and help others in their places of darkness. And so there's a couple other things I see in here too, that, that in the middle of her dark place, God blesses Naomi and he blesses Naomi with Ruth. So there's two daughters-in-law, Orpah, and, and it goes back and forth. And, and eventually Naomi has to convince them to go back. And so finally Orpah says, okay, I'll go back. But Ruth, Ruth is stubborn. Ruth says, I will stay with you. And so even in that dark place, God blesses Naomi with Ruth. And Ruth is the one that gives, gives Naomi the gift of enduring love. And so is committed to her and, and says, I will not leave you. And so a um, couple things I see from this here is, is first of all, um, uh, I, you know, Naomi, uh, again, we're going to see Naomi, two sides of Naomi. We're going to see this noble side of Naomi, but you're going to see the side where she's complaining and she's going to call herself bitter next week and all that kind of thing. Um, and it, it reminds me as, as, of, as of, of us as parents or as us as followers of Jesus who are trying to influence other people. We don't always do it flawlessly, right? In fact, if you, when, when Lori and I were pregnant with our first child, we took um, at least three couples out for dessert and just pummeled them with questions. Like, what did you do? How did you raise your kids? And all that. And we were do, leading the youth ministry in that time. So I felt like we had a couple hundred kids to choose from. And then the kids that we thought were like, man, those guys are nailing it. Like, I want to talk to their parents, you know? And so, so we picked what we thought, you know, some of the cream of the crop. And every set of parents say, Oh, it's the grace of God. 
It's the, it's the grace of God. And one of the families just told us all the mistakes they met. And some of them were huge. We're going like, whoa, like if, if your kids could turn out like that and you did that, like, wow, God is gracious. And so that's kind of Naomi's story too. She's going to have her downsides, but there is something about Naomi that even though apart from God for 10 years, there was enough about her knowledge and her communication of God that gave that gave hope to these gals because when she said, go back to your, go back to your country, like if she was horrible, they would have said, praise God or praise Chemosh was their God. They would have just taken off to go, but they wept and there was something about Naomi that they wanted to stay with her. But even in her dark place, a God gave um, a, a gift to Naomi and that gift was Ruth. And so kind of the summary point here, uh, one of the most famous passages in the Bible, let alone just this book of the Bible, is Ruth's commitment to Naomi. So it starts in verse 16, where it says, Ruth said, don't urge me to leave you or to return from following you. From where, for where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. <clears throat> so Ruth is all in. Like she's not going anywhere. She knows the cost. She knows that she's following a widowed woman who's going to die soon to a foreign land where she's going to be a foreigner, where she could be subjected to racism, where she most likely will not find a husband, where she will live in abject poverty. Uh, she's willing to do all of that to stay with Naomi. And the punchline is, why is she doing this? It, is, it, it goes way beyond just because Naomi's been a good mother-in-law and all this. The punchline is right in the center of the poem. Like her, her answer is written as a poem, and it's right in the middle that she says, your God will be my God. There's some significant things about that statement. She could have used a very general word for God, most likely the Hebrew word Elohim, just kind of meant God. It could have been a very general word. But she chose the word Yahweh, which is the covenant-keeping merciful name of God, a God who in his mercy is committed to his people. So she uses that very personal covenantal name of God. Your Yahweh is my Yahweh. And again, you got to stop and say, where in the world would Ruth have learned about Yahweh? Not just like a God or a powerful God, but the covenant keeping merciful God. She again, I wasn't there, but from all I can tell, she learned that from from Naomi, because all Ruth had in mind when you said God was the Moabite God named, um, named Chemosh. And in Moabite, that name meant destroyer or subduer. And a very common practice in worshiping Chemosh involved child sacrifice. So if that's your concept of God, destroyer, subduer, but then over time you hear from Naomi's words and you see in Naomi's life that there's a different God and that God is the God of loving kindness, the God of commitment, the God who is loyal to his people. Ruth converted, and Ruth began to believe in the God of Naomi, the Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God of Israel. And so, and so her faith was small, her faith was young, but what she knew about this God, she I am going to throw my life in with you and especially with your God. And I'm going to risk my life to follow you back to your country because your God is going to be my God. And I'm going to watch your God take care of my needs, just like you say he does, just like you say he is the merciful, gracious God. And so I thought about that as, as 
parents, particularly this morning, but again, to any one of us that are trying to influence other people spiritually. Again, you could look at your life and have you been the perfect dad or mom? No, have you been the perfect friend trying to help somebody follow Jesus? No, you've probably got your good moments. You're probably more than well aware of your bad moments. Um, But God used Naomi, even in a dark period of her life, to help Ruth see the difference between a God who is a subduer and a destroyer to see the real God who is the God of mercy and kindness. So let me toss this out there for a second. If you have a pen, uh, just you're going to jot down a couple things. I'm going to give you two things to write down here. So you got about 15 seconds. Could you, in 15 seconds, write the five best sermons you've ever heard? Okay, five best sermons you've ever heard. Go, 15 seconds. Just bust those things out, okay? Okay, time's up. It might be a little shorter than 15 seconds when we keep it moving. So, but here's the second question. Can you think of five people in your life that through their words and the way they treated you, the way they lived their life, who have communicated to you um, that there is a God who is a loving God and that that God loves you? Can you think of five people in your life who have communicated God's love to you? Okay, five people. Go, do that. Just do initials maybe to keep it going. Can you think of five people who have shown God's love to you. I can't see what everybody's doing and I can't see what everybody's writing. When I've done that in smaller groups, those two questions uh, go a lot quicker on that second one. Like people can whip off names way more than they can sermons. Now I'm a preacher, so I'm not saying sermons are bad, right? And so in fact, we need God's word. We need God's teaching, but do not underplay the power of a life lived that as you express the love that in your study, in listening to sermons, you learn about the the covenant keeping love of God, but it's many times through your relationships, through how you live your life, that you are pointing people to Uh, the God who is true, the God who is merciful and loving. So as parents, again, do you need to be flawless? Do you need to be perfect? No, but, but if we are men and women, if we are a church that is about this book, that is learning this book, applying this book, and then living out lives, like we really do know uh, the God who is, who is kind, who is gracious, who keeps his covenant with people, who's loyal to us in his love, then God is gonna use you so that the people around you will see who he is and what he's all about. So at the center of Ruth's poem, what has totally flipped her life is that Naomi's God is now her God. And so as we continue with the rest of this book, we're gonna kind of wrap it up here, is that Ruth is really gonna be a powerful picture to us of what the gospel can do in someone's life, how the gospel can totally flip our perspective from living for ourselves and defending ourselves to now taking risks on behalf of others because of the fact that we know a covenant-keeping God. And as we continue with this story, God is going to work beautifully. In a, in a chapter or two, there's going to be a baby born out of this love story who is going to be a descendant, a very important descendant in the line of not only King David, but in the line of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus, who's going to be born in Bethlehem, where Elimelech and Naomi were from, this Jesus who's going to be born there to be the Savior of the world. The, the physical evidence that we have a God who loves to step into our dark places and set us free from sin and death through Jesus Christ. And Naomi and Ruth are going to play a key role in that genealogy. So Ruth really embodies the gospel to us. And so <clears throat> a couple things for us again this morning. As parents, as moms, 
you know, this really frees us in a lot of ways to, to love without necessarily getting rewarded, okay? Like, even whoever has the most grateful kid in this room, like, thank you so much, thank you. They, our kids still have no idea what you have sacrificed for them, what you have done for them. And so what this does is this gives us hope, is that you have a covenant-keeping God who knows, who sees, and that as you serve, he is loving, he is providing his love, so that it's his love you can pour out. Your love for your kids doesn't have to be contingent on do they listen to you or not, or are they grateful or not, but God is there to help you in those places. And then I also see kind of the punchline of this story is really important for us as a church, that if we are truly followers of Jesus, not just like a limelech who said, God is my king, but who really lived like God isn't enough and did his own thing. If we call ourselves followers of Jesus, Uh, then what that means is that we are truly a people who's striving to embrace the gospel. And the gospel message is that God has stepped into our broken lives. When he could have left us, he could have abandoned us, he could have ignored us, but he stepped into our lives at great cost to himself. Jesus gave his life uh, to set us free from sin and death and to give us a whole new love to live this life by. And so I get excited thinking about it, and I already see many examples of you guys doing that as a church, but to see God to continue to use us as a church to reflect that gospel and embody that gospel to our city. So let me just say a couple things. If you've been around Parkview the last few weeks, you know, we've been talking about our Vision 2020 campaign where just we've been praying, God, would you use us as a church to bless this whole area? We've talked about the concept of being three churches Uh, worshiping in three locations, one church in three locations. And so we've had an East Campus over in the Broadway area in the Pepperwood Plaza. And so what's before us now is the opportunity to purchase the building that both Faith Academy and our East Campus are in right now. And so as a church, we're seeking God, we're praying, and, and we're asking God, is this the time you would have us make that purchase? At the same time, for the last six, seven years, we've been praying, God, would you give us an opportunity to start a movement of the gospel in North Liberty? And now through a possible partnership with the church there, that's looking like it could be a reality too. And so we're in a season as a church where we're seeking God and praying. You guys have been asking great questions at different outposts and listening posts and forums. We're trying to take that input and continue to lead out. And so the next steps are this. Next Sunday at 8.15, there's a place where we have a forum where people will come and ask questions about our budget, about different um, things involved in the 2020 vision campaign. Um, then on, on June 4th, uh, there's our annual meeting where as a church, we're gonna gather and, and kind of vote on this. Are we doing this or not? And one point of clarity is that I think about a month ago or so, we had mentioned that there might be some pledges that we would make coming up to that meeting. And just after some input and further talking and praying, we're not doing pledges before. We're going to vote on the 4th after we seek God and all that. And then if God is calling us to this, we also realize then that this will take um, some significant sacrifice on our parts financially. So we're seeking God for all of this. And what's most important to me, that what needs to go first in this whole campaign is a renewed commitment from all of us to embrace Jesus Christ in a deeper way. Because it won't help our county at all to have three locations of worship if we, if the people here, if all of us are not pursuing Jesus more passionately and seeing him change us and use us. The people have to go first 
ministry is, uh, facilities facilitate ministry. And so what's key is to fill these facilities with people like us who are ready to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. So keep praying. Next week we'll lay out more clearly next steps. We just wanted to keep you praying about that. And again, it just embodies so much what you're seeing God do in the book of Ruth. So to wrap up our time now, Mary and Lori are going to come up and talk with us for a little bit. So I know I saw them before the service. I don't think they've left me, have they? So Mary and Lori, you're supposed to be up here now. Good. Here's Mary. Anyway, Lori, you're here too, right? So come on up, Mary. I'll get you a mic. Here we go. All right, so this is Mary Schrader. She and her husband, come on up, we can go together. So she and her husband, Jamie, um, have served here for seven-ish, eight, seven years. And then this is Lori Goodrich. She and her husband, Jim, have been in this church many years. And both of these women are on our women's ministry team here. So I asked both of them to just come up at the end of my message. And they saw my notes. They read through the passage this week and just kind of share with us kind of some take-home insights that you guys saw from it. So Mary, why don't you go first for us? So I've always wanted to be a mom. Um, when, oh, here we go. You're okay. good, you're on. Good. Yeah. So I've always wanted to be a mom. I was the teenager that would walk by Foot Locker and be just enamored with baby shoes and baby clothes. And I mean, I've always loved babies. And so when my husband and I got pregnant, we were so very, very excited about having a little one. And we ended up having three boys, which is probably God's kindness because I love baby shoes. And if we had any girls, we would have been broke. So with boys, you have to be, I think, a very special kind of mom. One thing I noticed about this passage is that um, Naomi was in Moab for 10 years, which is how old my oldest is right now. And I look back and I think those 10 years have gone by so fast. Even when I am exhausted because he's not sleeping again, even when I want to wring his neck because he's asked me for the thousandth time if he can have cake for breakfast, even, you know, all these things that make every day so long, the years have gone by so fast. And what I also noticed was that while they were in Moab, that was when her sons married the Moab, the Moabitessness. Yeah. Yeah. The Moab women. And, and I was thinking, you know, in 10 years from now, my son would probably be on the young side, I hope, right? Hopefully he's not (laughs) married at 20, but you know, we're, we're moving into that season of life and these next 10 years will go by just as fast as the last Mm. 10 years. And, and I was struck by their choices of who they married. Hmm. One walked away from her mother-in-law and hmm. one stayed. And so my prayer for my boys is that within the next 10 years that they will say, Jesus is not only your God, mom, but my God, mm-hmm. like Ruth said. Yeah. Your God will be my God and my boys will continue to make Christ and Christianity and the church their own. Yeah. And, and that's hard because mm. most days all I want to do is tell them no. Know this, know that, can't do this, stop doing that. You know, and, and I need to teach them to value what is good and what is beautiful and what is true. And so my, my challenge for you guys is to you know, do the same for your boys and for your girls. And I ask for your prayer that 
my kids won't be messed up. You know, I think my greatest fear as a mom is that my kids will be messed up. But uh, thankfully, my therapist tells me that my kids are already messed up. So I, I can't make them any worse. So, but I mean, gosh, you know, like, like Doug said, it is by the grace of God that we have any good gift. And yeah. so, I mean, as a mom, you know, my desire is that my kids will one day be able to stand up here and talk about what it's like to be a father and to have a godly family. So. Thank you, Mary. So Lori and Jim were one of those couples we took out for dessert back in the day. And um, they were one of the ones that told us some stories. We say, wow, if they did that and their kids turned out like that. But these guys have been a source of wisdom for us for many years. And I'm excited for you to share too. So. Well, God uh, showed me a demonstration of his love in a powerful way at the most wonderful place on earth, Disneyland. A family with young children standing in line ahead of us for hours and what seemed like hours and hours. And there were no words. It was hot. And all of a sudden, I saw tears streaming down one of the child's faces. Still no words. But the mom reached into her purse and took out a cookie. No scolding. No straighten up. You should be happy we're here. Just a significant gesture of love. We can do this. We are going to get through this. God is with us through this journey. Thank you. Thank you. Let me, let me pray for us. So, Father, thanks for um, both of these words of input here. Thank you for your truth that you taught us today. May we be a people that uh, know that even in the hardest times you are with us and that frees us. Uh, from fear, it frees us from straying from you, and it frees us to point others to you as well. Thank you for being so good, so kind to your people. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.